2: And welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and on this episode I'm chatting with multiple members of the cast and crew of the new British sci-fi show Intergalactic which premieres Friday the 30th of April on Sky One and streaming service now. Written by the award-winning showrunner Julie Geary who you'll know from things like Prisoners Wives, Cuffs and Secret Diary of a Core Girl, Intergalactic tells the story of a young cop and galactic pilot Ash Harper who has a glittering career ripped out from Mundra when she is wrongly convicted of a treasonous crime. Ash is sentenced to exile on a prison planet and loaded onto the prison spaceship the Hemlock for transfer. But she never actually reaches her destination as there is a mutiny aboard the ship staged by her fellow inmates. With the flight crew dead, mob leader Tula Clerk is intent on reaching the free world of Arcadia with her gang. And Ash, reluctantly, is the only pilot left on board to fly the ship. As the gang go On the run across the galaxy, they will travel to many different planets, make friends and encounter dangerous enemies, all the time with the authorities on their tail. As the journey continues, Ash begins to re-evaluate her dangerous cohorts. Could it be that this group of female fugitives are on the wrong side of the law, but the right side of history? we were shown the opening three episodes of the series for these interviews. There are some very mild spoilers in here, but if you're the type of person that doesn't want to know anything going into the show, then uh, obviously watch the first few episodes and then come back and listen to this. There's nothing too big that would spoil anything for you, though. I have to say, I loved, loved what I saw. I really, really enjoyed those opening three episodes. Uh, If you're old enough to remember the classic show Lake Seven, that was definitely a touchstone for this series, and it's wonderful to see them create a new, brilliant, British spacefaring sci-fi show. The interviews took place during a virtual press junket, so uh, they split the cast and crew up into three separate groups, so you'll hear me and some other press people as well asking questions throughout. The first group features the relative newcomer Savannah Stein, who plays the lead, Ash Harper, Paminda Nagra, who you will know from a million different shows such as VR, 13 Reasons Why, Fortitude, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a ton of other stuff as well. She plays Ash's mother, Rebecca, who also happens to be the head of galactic security for the Commonwealth as well. And uh, Craig Parkinson, who has been a load of different things. Uh, the English game, Temple, Misfits, and of course Line of Duty is probably where a lot of people were known for. He plays Dr. Benedict Lee, who is the leader of the Commonwealth government. He's also a brilliant and seemingly somewhat shady scientist as well. Here's the the first set of interviews. This is uh, Savannah Stein, Paminda Nagra and Craig Parkinson. (laughs) lovely chatting with you all and thank you for doing this talk I've seen the first three episodes of the show and absolutely love it, it's very much my genre, so Praminda I think we'll start with you um, How How is it getting into the show? Because you've got some sort of form doing sci-fi and that sort of show before, so how was it coming to a British sci-fi like this? It's a very rare thing these days
1: Yeah, well actually I'd worked with Kieran Hawkes, our director um, before on Fortitude, so as soon as I was told that he was involved in this project, to be honest with you it was first and foremost I was excited because he was directing it and I just sort of was like okay, I, I can feel this is going to be good and then of course I read it and I just loved the character I loved that there was just, there was really something for me to get my teeth into and then the world that we were creating, honestly Dave to be honest with you, I didn't even quite realise until I, I was saying this before with Craig, until you watched the trailer back it, it then just takes on a whole other epic turn because you know you're sort of seeing some of the, the you know special effects you know the silver balls <laughs> arrive on set and the you know the rooms that we're in that are our set decoration was just like we were in or like walking into those spaces so to me it was just a fun coming back be fun working with a director i've worked with before and i got to make you know new friends and got to sort of hang out in england for a little bit so um i just it was All of that and more.
2: Awesome And Craig What about you This is I mean you you did Misfits So you've done Sort of Sci-fi and superhero Adjacent stuff How Yeah Getting involved With a, a pure Full-blown sci-fi thing
3: Yeah I mean Completely different Ballpark um, Again I'm going to have to Take Palmender's lead I too Have been lucky enough To work with Kieran Hawkes In the past and I was filming uh, The Netflix show The English Game Which is a big Period piece yeah. Again in the North of England But I had a big Hughes beard very, very long hair and then the prospect of thrusting myself far, far into the future and being all just completely de-shedding the skin of that character and jumping into something that I hadn't really... I mean, of course, I dipped my toe in a little bit in the genre bending stuff with Misfits, but this is quite full-on and yeah it's set in the future but I don't think we need to just put it firmly in the science fiction category I Mm. think it's so much more than that and so exciting that it's a female-led ensemble on UK telly and it's I think the timing is right Um, but yeah it was a a real pull for me Uh, first seeing Kieran's name attached because you know you're in a very safe pair of hands who Mm. cares about his work uh, so so much you go oh great we're on the same level because we have such passion for what do and i know he's gonna get together a great cast and crew that are all on the same the same yeah. page um so that that's one thing you don't need to worry about but i just thought well this is gonna be a real exciting ride and i remember the department was just talking about the set pieces before and the structure i remember when we went into dr lee's lab for the first time Oh god us beautiful we, we, we <laughs> Beautiful but disconcerting because it was all mirrored floors and we had to yeah. uh, uh cover what they called shoe cut. Booties. Shoes, right. Little booties yeah. because you couldn't mess it up because it was just gleaming. But you look down and you're in a mirror and it was a bit woozy effect. I started to feel mm. a bit sick at one point. And then we have mm. to sort of, you know, get the silver balls in for the special effects and there's gonna be this is what's gonna happen now. It's gonna be all these bees around here. So you're just constantly trying to imagine what it's gonna be like. And I'm sure even in your own head you've got a quite a clear vision it ain't going to be that it's going to be mm-hmm. something much more spectacular but it was it was a real joy wasn't it I mean yeah. it was just so exciting because everybody was doing lots of things that they hadn't done before and breaking down yeah. some some barriers um, both in sort of storyline terms and uh, in the set pieces hopefully this is going to work and yeah it was uh, it was a, a, an education Yeah,
4: <laughs> Lucas do you have a question?
5: Uh, sure yeah Um. I'd like to Ask uh, Savannah First of all Happy birthday um, <laughs> I mean this is Really your first Big lead role And you're taking Charge of this Huge ensemble Cast How how did that feel What were the Challenges of that
6: It was wild I didn't think It was going to Happen Like, I remember Auditioning for it And just feeling like You know it's never Going to happen Do you know what I mean It's, it's just I've only done Like very tiny roles On um, telly before So I was and expecting it, and um it was a dream. It, it was very challenging, just because I feel like as a new actor, like I'm not like, just feel like you don't know what you're doing. I just feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even know how to lead a show, let alone like lead my own scene. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But I think it was so great having people like Craig, Paul, Eleanor, Sharon, but like having such seasoned actors that I've been watching from from when I was a kid, like sitting opposite from them, I was and seeing like their freedom and the way that they embody their characters and what they bring every day. It was, um, that, that I found really useful, taking guidance from all of them, from Kieran, um, from ev- everyone was really helpful and supportive. So I think that's what kind of got us through to the end. <laughs> Sarah, do you have a question?
3: I see, I see Sarah's taking it very professionally because she's out having a bloody picnic in the park. Yeah,
4: where is she? <laughs> <I'm not interested>.
3: <laughs> whereas, <laughs> we're, whereas we're all inside. We <laughs>
6: need to get her
1: son,
4: Sarah.
3: I've got I've got bloody wardrobe to move, and you're outside having a picnic, Sarah. Great, yeah, you could have made an effort, Craig. <laughs> honestly I
4: not even i'm literally inside
3: they've just got this fancy
4: plant set up inside um so it looks oh. like, I'm um, oh. yeah.
3: I like i mean i'll i'll believe you thousands audience, <laughs> but yeah
4: i've seen it <laughs> <laughs> um so my my first question is for savannah um I mean you Like right in the Very first scene You would sort of Hit the ground Like literally And figuratively Running right. And so can you Talk about some Of the action scenes That you have um, And what they Were like to film
6: Yeah I loved Shooting the action scenes I've always wanted To do action Ash is always running Which, which is funny Because when I saw the, the poster came out Yesterday for what They'll use on socials And everything in it It's literally Ash running There was a lot of running And I run every day Of my actual life So that was fun And I remember like a couple of weeks before they brought me to Manchester where we shot and Kieran who is actually a trained kickboxer trained me like we just did some some fights and he's he's the most loving warm guy but he's also low yeah. he's also low <laughs> like he has like very viking vibe <laughs> soft viking vibe and so he'll take that (laughs) yeah viking's good (laughs) yeah rugged not anything yet, and i didn't like i didn't know him all that well but it was so great having that time to bond with him and also like learn to fight and he he's fierce as well so i feel like that was a great like lead into shooting the um shooting the action stuff which was a lot of fun I didn't know he took you Off training That's great He did He did it was, wow. it was One of the big rooms On set Like before Like before they built Some of the set I was there a couple Of weeks before And we were just training The two of us With Max as assistant That's amazing Oh what fun It was <laughs>
3: He's he's the Swiss army knife Of directors yes. He kind of He kind of does A bit of everything Really doesn't he does, He does doesn't he yeah. Look at him Is
4: he training Cool moves Like a special pinch That
3: like makes Someone freeze Or something
6: I'm not I can't (laughs)
3: I'm sure she'll she'll show you some now Savannah can you just get up Can you please demonstrate Demonstrate, I need to see this (laughs) (laughs) I think that was probably aimed at me Thank you
6: (laughs) (laughs) He taught me loads of stuff Like kicks and punches But we shot this all a year ago So I can't really remember now Me and my personal life I'm not a fighter So I can't, can't too tough remember But Ash knows what she's doing yeah.
3: She certainly yeah. does
6: She certainly does <laughs>
1: David Bell Do you have a question?
0: Yeah sure um, Hi guys One of the things I love about this Is that tonally there's, there's lots of things Going on There's a lot of depth To it There's also a rich Theme of, of very black humour Running through it and There's that great scene Where the poor security guards He's listening to Phil Collins. I think that's in episode (laughs) three. Um, Was that that important to you that, that, you know, it had shifting moods and shifting
3: tones? I think so it was. It's like... I was saying to Dave before to put it purely in a science fiction category is kind of doing it a disservice because it's got so much and a lot of that dark humour really mm. sort of sings to me with, with with any script. But to see it in this context is really, is so appealing. And I suppose it's the excitement right from the word go, right from episode one, and you're just thrust mm. into this world and you're on this chase. you You've got to play catch up as an audience member. And I think... More and more now, certainly. And I always go back to The Sopranos, how I feel that The Sopranos t- changed television. All those years yeah. ago, not just with budgets, but with its casting, and you're seeing people who you haven't, they're not on the treadmill of television all the time. And I think that's what Intergalactic does and does it very well. It doesn't spoon feed the audience. It kind of, you know, yes, it grabs them by the collar and says, We're going to go for a massive mm. ride, but it makes them work for the story a bit.
1: It's so entertaining and so thrilling, but there's so much that's so relatable on so many different levels you know yes we have the dark humor and we have the grief we have pain it's like there's there's so much going on that is relevant also to present day life and people it gives you a little bit of everything and I think that's what was so fun to watch and play and helmed by you know the people that have you know Julie Geary it's a testament to, to how she she writes and, and puts all of those even sometimes just within one one scene or one sentence you know you could just go through a journey so really starts from those guys and then uh... Uh,
3: and also I think we were really lucky of course to have Kieran directing quite the main book but when it was passed to China Mu young. She really put her stamp on it, but kept that same the same tone that was set as a template and she just slotted so easy into this world that we'd we'd spent all that time creating certainly what Julie had spent much much longer creating Um, it was a a seamless transition
7: and we've just got two minutes but Lucas do you want to ask a question I think I interrupted
6: you earlier
5: (laughs) Um, Uh, I thought the series had a lot of sort of real world edge to it it fit quite nicely with sort of changing attitudes towards the police currently I was one wondering if you guys could just quickly touch on where your characters sort of fit in with that. Obviously, Paminda, you're playing Rebecca, who's sort of at the head of all this.
1: Oh, wow.
3: (laughs) She's not at the head of it. Let's just... just I'm actually not at the
1: head of it. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yes, I'm trying to do what the world that we've set up, she's trying to live within the parameters of that world. And she believes that her cause is correct and right and will fight for it. And she feels that she feels strongly enough about it that, you know, she will do what she has to do in terms of the real world stuff. You say, I, I don't want to go off too much on that. Cause I don't know. That's like more than two minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get so political <laughs> all i know is my corner of my common world office and what she feels about that which is just she's very 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 passionate about you know her station in life so take what you will from that i guess
3: and i'm sick of talking about the police the police always come back to haunt me in every press junket
4: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true sarah dean do you have a final question Actually, Craig, my impression when you see the first episode, to me, Benedict's motives aren't quite clear yet, obviously, but um, oh. I just want to get in your description of the character in your words and also because obviously you've played a villain in like quite an indie cop show recently and also you've played like good people in, say, Indian Summers, for example. Do you have a preference as to whether you play someone who's slightly shady or do you like playing heroes? Um, are you drawn to one more
3: than the other Yeah it's not that Cut and dry Sarah I think I mean I'm really You know Everything And I know I have to say this It all Harks back to the script And if, if it's something That's rich and layered And interesting And I feel that I could do a really good job with and also i mean i must admit i was slightly terrified of taking on this role because it is so complex i remember sitting down with kieran and having lunch with him and we were discussing about where he thought the character should be going and what my initial thoughts were and we both came to the same conclusion that it was the character was was almost lynchian in the way he holds himself. And he's quite asexual in a way. And his physicality is something that I was interested in sort of developing and, and, and going a little deeper with that because he's got such a fantastic mind, but he's quite clinical. You know, you never see him physically interact with anybody. He seems to be wanting complete control over everything and uh that was just something slightly scary and i think it's always good to be quite scared and because uh, if you go some if you go into something that's completely fully formed you've got nowhere to go as an actor so i just wanted to go on there obviously i do my homework but it morphs when you get on the floor certainly when you're you're working with someone like Parminder and someone like Kieran for most, I mean, not really Parminder that not much. Not really me. But yeah, you just want to sort of, Develop it and have that space.
2: The next set of interviews features Sharon Duncan Brewster, who you'll know from uh, Rogue One. She was in Sex Education June. She's been a load of other things as well. She plays Tula, a dangerous and volatile female gangster who is on board the ship and is the instigator, really, in taking control of it as well. Newcomer Daini Sanba Banza stars in her television debut as Genevieve, Tula's daughter, who has undergone some interesting weaponized. Body modification, shall we say? And Thomas Turngoose who you're I'm sure people will know from this is England who plays Drew, a prison guard who is the only member of the crew not killed during the mutiny uh, and just started to develop a thing for Genevieve as well. So here's the interview with Sharon Diney and Thomas
8: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.
2: First question to Sharon. You've got a really interesting character on the show. She's very tough. It's trying to be in control of everything, but that seems to be slipping away from her. Do you just want to talk a little bit about getting into that character?
9: You sound like you're being polite there. You're (laughs) being a control freak. (laughs) <laughs> trying to be, she's to get into that character, to get into the character of Tula, who is obnoxious. She's rude in every sense of the word. She's controlling. She's selfish. She's a narcissist. She's a psychopath how does one get into that character um I did a bit of research and I and I I took I channeled every rude part of my my quiet lovely gentle self and went get rid of that and just do everything you've ever wanted to, to do to be rude to someone in your life and I I did I did watch a lot of um, sort of gang related um like documentaries and some old footage of um different gang leaders and stuff like that and read, read I didn't read any books because I'm not very good with books but i sort of read different accounts on online and stuff like that i did a lot of psychological just little bits and pieces to do with different psychologists talking about um narcissists and psychopaths that, but i i make it sound like i did loads and loads and loads of what i was gonna say you're making it
10: sound like i did nothing Jared. come on you're making us all look bad here Jesus. <laughs>
9: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do as much as it sounds like I, I'm saying I did. I did. I did. I did some research though, and I just channeled my high octane self in with that knowledge.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And Thomas, you're rather more the somewhat comic relief I guess on the show at the moment certainly the opening three episodes and uh, you're, you're also it's a majority female cast you're one of the few male characters
10: on it Um, how is it working in that role on the show? I mean it's great fun and uh, like you just said I'm, I'm one of very few male cast <laughs> it's such a breath of fresh air to see you know the ladies take control of the situations hmm. and particularly Sharon, like she just said, you know, she's very much in control of Drew and there's nothing he can do about that. But yeah, you know, it was a breath of fresh air and it was it was so nice to see something so different, you know, because you've seen all the shows where the men are in charge and it's all very sort of male-led, whereas this was such a, a beautiful breath of fresh air to see the tables completely turned. In a sense, with the, the sort of the comic relief, I guess it's kind of like, as an audience member, you feel so sorry for Drew, in a way. And we was just saying earlier on that it's almost so... You feel so sorry for him For the fact that He's scared to fall in love He's scared to fall For someone And it's sort of It's very very sad In a a sense But as the season progresses He learns a lot about himself And he learns a lot about um, Genevieve and Tula And also you know The the rest of the people On the ship So yeah it was a real And and I mean when Oliver Cooper Smith Came in Play Echo I mean (laughs) he's just He he took the baton there I mean And he ran with it He did a great job He was so funny And so quick Just sort of let me Find my feet in, In other ways I guess.
5: Hi guys, Sharon and Danny, I really loved your sort of unconventional family dynamic, shall we say? How was that playing off each other on set?
11: That was really fun. I think even cuz we auditioned together I think from the get-go I felt like a lot of good kind of like energy like to bounce off of from you straight away so even when we we're on set it was like there was sometimes like a lot of unspoken messages <laughs> where we just talking with our eyes like you know what I mean <laughs> and uh, yeah that. I think yeah you're just really easy to work with and like good to learn from as well
9: I think it definitely helped out that, that we connected I mean from the since the audition when we auditioned together and um, I was there going well I really hope that this young tans- Actress gets it. She she blew me away in in the audition. And then when I found out that I had got it, I was like, I hope I hope it was the same actress that I auditioned with. And then to to take ourselves and then go through this really complex relationship, which is. On the surface, you just think, okay, well, oh my gosh, that's her daughter, first of all. And then you find out what Tula has done in order to survive on a general day-to-day in the common world. And then how she is very manipulative with her daughter. She's very controlling in a sense of not only just in a mother-daughter relationship, but just as as a sort of new age Ganglord. She's just she. She takes things to the nth degree. And when you when you find out what she's done to her daughter, people will start to look at Tula in a different light. I think. And and then then we start to unpick how different their relationship really is. It's not your average mother daughter relationship at all. So I think it's really interesting that Julie's very cleverly placed that device there to just to unravel what it means to be related to somebody in this, this new
11: world that, that we will see. I think we definitely found ourselves like when they said cut to be like, are you OK? Was that all right? <laughs> Was that too much? Because there were moments where it got really intense. Yeah, yeah. Shake it off a little bit. For sure. For sure. But it's a sort of
9: a new way of looking at an age old issue, which Uh is aggression within the family dynamic. Yeah, the toxic love.
4: Yeah, Mm. yeah. I have to say, I thought Tula and Genevieve were sisters like the whole time. So I was like, I know you guys like mentioned sort of Martin and George, but at the beginning, I was like, oh, they're not sisters. So I'm not, I'm not just saying that's
10: true. I genuinely thought you guys. That's were either sisters. a compliment to Sharon.
8: Yeah.
10: <laughs> or not so much. to Yes. It was, um, so, just exactly. be very careful. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Danny, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your character's hair because that was her power. With that was quite. Cool. Um, So can you just talk about what it was like to have to put those dreads on every day um, and how to sort of act out, you know, choking people to death with your own hair and what that was like for you?
11: Uh, yeah, definitely a new experience. Putting on the wig every morning is quite easy. I mean, I, I didn't really have any input, but like it didn't take much time. And once we were on set, it was kind of like if it was a scene where I was like choking someone, like choking Drew, for example, at the start, it was kind of like a few gestures with my face to kind of show that to signal that my hair's about to um, strangle him. And then there are other times where you'd have some stunt men rigged up to like fly across a room. And this kind of like, I was kind of going off of them as well. It was really fun to be honest. <laughs> like to pretend like you've got like powers, is like always really cool. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I've been doing it since I was a kid. So yeah. to actually doing it for a job, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was really fun. And like seeing it, um, uh, the end product was like insane. It looked so much cooler than I thought it was going to be. It was just a lot of fun.
2: Thanks. Just touching on that sort of effects work, was that your first experience of doing that sort of effects for a show? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
11: yeah. Yeah, I've never done anything like that before. I've never even worked with like green screen. I've not done like, all of that was really new to me. But it was cool to see the kind of VFX people at work and like when they put random objects and just put like the green crosses on them and you're like, yeah, that's just going to be like a whole person. And you're like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Okay, Amazing, cool. what
10: they do, isn't it? What they, what they can turn a tiny little green cross into. Uh-huh. Amazing, I learned so much on that about what they, they can do with special effects. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting,
9: they were such an integral part of the process as well. Because mm. you, you sort of imagine, I always thought that it would be it's us, we shoot, we film it all, and then they come in later and do their stuff. But most of the time, it would be you'd finish a take and they would come in with a silver ball and they,
10: they bring, in, bring they, in the balls as they're bringing they're the balls. Bring in balls, yeah,
9: they're, they're with us the whole time, which is quite, I think, it's much more exciting because you you then have input you have somebody giving you you know clues about what something's going to look like um that was one thing that you know they made very clear to us that we if we wanted to we could go to the art department and talk to them about what things are going to look like they showed us mock-ups of things um
10: so interesting to learn though isn't it sorry sharon yeah. I oh, no 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 go ahead bub go ahead it's, no, all it's all so interesting to learn like you know, Sharon, you've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it for a long time. And even it's so amazing that that you you can still learn so much having been involved in the industry for so long. And it's just like, I think it's really interesting that you could be in the industry for as long as you want, but there's always going to be something else that you are going to learn. You know, yeah. you're always learning. I guess that what would make that that's what makes our job so exciting and interesting. And no two days are the same. You know.
9: Plus, on top of this as well, I would agree with you, babe. Is that um, the the technology, the CGI, is cutting edge. It's it's not the technology that was five years ago, it's even Top two years ago. They're just pushing and pushing. Yeah. So that we're always gonna be learning. Each time we do that sort of we like you say, we always learn anyway. But
10: yeah. yeah,
9: that's the other thing that um I'm hoping it's gonna really please the audience is how great the effect look. Cause I was really surprised when I saw the yeah. opening the opening scene. I was like wow, look at
10: London
8: time. <laughs> wow. It's amazing.
10: Yeah. So it's going to be, maybe that's what Carnaby streets like now. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs>
5: I was going to ask Thomas, you, I think we've all seen just the th- first three episodes and you're kind of Tula's punching bag for a lot of it. I think <laughs> the the moment where she threatens you over the intercom, I remember was
10: particularly great. Do, how does that dynamic sort of, uh, change very briefly touched on there it's kind of like you feel so sorry for drew because he meets a girl in the most unlikely circumstances and it's so beautiful to see the way that their relationship goes from strength to strength throughout the series when it really shouldn't and also you know it's it's kind of when you think about it you know he's so terrified of tula but his feelings for genevieve overcome that throughout the series you know it's kind of like he gets to the point where he goes you know what like I, I, I may love your daughter and you need to get used to that to that idea you know but I think as, as Tula to take that on board because Genevieve's not only Tula's daughter she's also her protection so it's kind of like he's not only taking away her daughter taking away what, what she needs in a way so yeah it's kind of it's nice to see that Drew sort of stands up to him for himself you know as the season progresses and you know without ruining too much and, and it, it it was so great to delve into that with Sharon and, and Danny. So, yeah, I'm just sort of excited as myself as a fan of the show to see how that looks on screen and how the audience may feel. Sharon, do
5: you see Tula warming to
10: Drew at all? <laughs> um, I, think may, I think she may. But maybe she might get to the point where she feels like she needs Drew and there's a point where... I you know she. Yeah. She. I know. Yeah. No. And, and I'm not giving no spoilers away here. But you know, she kind of like. Yeah. Maybe she might think. Well, actually, I can use Drew here
9: I was just thinking as you were talking, Tomoda. As you said, she, Danny plays a character that is utilised in so many different ways. But for Tula, I would say she's a force, a, a source of protection as well. As you said, yeah. And to, for you to extract that, that element, that just changes everything. And so I do wonder, cause Tula's got so many different tactics, ways of coping. She's and very clever. She's quick on her, yeah. She's normally quick on her feet and she's manipulative. And just when you think she's going to attack with, uh, aggression, there are times when she goes a totally different way, a route. So mm. I wonder with, especially with Drew, where we'd go. From from this, where we go next. Yeah. And is it about aggression or is it something a lot, a lot more manipulative? But also it's there. just
10: trying to find, you know, there's, I think Drew just desperately wants Tula to like him and, and to respect him. And <laughs> yeah. I guess there's kind of no real way of, of earning that respect because, he's taken the one thing that's important to her, you know, so it's mm. kind of, it's, it's a very, it's a very, very touchy relationship, but it'll be very interesting, you know, if, if we do get to go on and, and tell yeah. more more of the story, it's it's the thing that I'm most excited about is seeing where Drew, Genevieve and Tula, you know, find themselves.
4: Hey my next question is for dna again with the success of um bridgerton there's been like a lot of talk about quote unquote colorblind casting i just wondered like being part of this program what your thoughts on that are do you think that was like a conscious decision in this program and just yeah what your thoughts are generally on it
11: i'm not sure like how they came to decide who they wanted to cast and for what reason i'm glad they did though I'm glad they included some black women in there and um, that they didn't just stop at kind of here's just a black woman and a black woman, but gave them like. You know central roles, and like it's a hard kind of thing to talk about whether it's like what comes first. You like yeah. cast someone because they're black, Do you cast someone because they're talented, or whatever. But I feel yeah. like sometimes yeah. it's there's not really a need to separate the two. And what they did well with this was that it, it didn't even cut, like cross my mind as to why they would have picked uh, people of color as the role for the roles they did. I think it was just great that they did. <laughs>
2: the last set of interviews features Imogen Danes, who uh, you popped up in The Witcher and uh, Black Mirror. She plays Verona, a reckless cyber hacker who we meet in the very first episode and revels in the delicious irony of the fact that she's now locked up alongside the cop who arrested her, i.e. Ash Harper. And also Oliver Cooper Smith, who was recently in Tin Star. He plays the space pirate Echo, who Ash meets in the second episode. He has the charm of Han Solo, the sort of swagger of Jack Sparrow. He's kind of the epitome of the lovable rogue. He's a wonderful, wonderful character. And also Iona Rolick who is exec producer on the series so here's the interview with imogen oliver and iona <laughs> Lovely to see you all Oliver, your character comes in Episode 2, you arrive, isn't it? There's something of a sort of Han Solo-ness about him, I rather feel How was it coming to that character And were there influences of people like Han Solo and that sort of thing in there?
0: You know what, yeah, it's right He comes in Episode 2 And he kind of saves the day comes to the rescue And yeah, I've got to be honest As soon as I read him on the page There was similarities Han Solo, I thought of um, Chris Pratt in the Guardians of the Galaxy There was sort of lots of different things That I could pick out um Spiller from The Borrowers was another person that I was like, oh that's who it reminds hey. me of. But I, I have to say I, I did very little research for this, I have to say, because, <laughs> because you um you turn up on on set in the costume and and, and the sets were incredible and detailed. The makeup was impeccable. The script was great. It was all there. So it was like, turn up on time, know your lines and be ready to sort of adapt and play. But I did look at Harrison Ford flying the Millennium Falcon because I was a bit nervous about making it seem believable flying a ship when actually all you've got in front of you is a lighting guy or a boom guy or whatever. And it seems that if you just press a lot of buttons and battle some thrust, you can sort of make it seem convincing. So that was I <laughs> got from, uh, from Harrison Ford. Imogen,
2: you have a really interesting character as well, because she's sort of a prisoner, but not sort of as evil as maybe some of the others. The, the others are kind of really kind of hard and tough, and you are a bit more in the grey. So yeah. uh, how is it balancing that as an actor?
12: It was one of the reasons I was really attracted to the part, and actually the whole script, is I don't think that Julie has written good and baddies. She really mm-hmm. has just written humans under intense stress. So it makes it so much easier because every time there's what seems like an, an extreme decision, she's giving you the motivation for it. So while she is technically a criminal, she's stolen this new orom at the top of the show. She's done it out of sheer desperation because she's being kept down by a dictatorship and has been orphaned and has nobody to rely on. She's just spending for herself. So Yeah, I think there's this whole spectrum of evil that we meet across the show. And yeah, Verona's... To my mind 100% good Of course But when she does Cross a line Or let someone down I think And I hope If I've done her justice The audience understands Why she's done it Every time Rather than just Having someone Who's behaving For no obvious reason You know Completely terribly That makes that's,
0: sense That's so interesting Sorry to jump in But that's what I think What makes The scene in episode 3 With the prison guards I love that scene And Alex Carter Who plays the prison guard I thought he was great And he plays it so well but, but, but between the two of you That scene I don't know It just really hits home and I think that everything you've just explained is sort of it feels like a massive moment for her that scene
12: yeah Yeah. oh thanks all Yeah, I really, really enjoyed doing that scene because you just get an opportunity to humanize an act. Basically, you're given that little bit more script and that little bit more space and time to sit with the repercussions of your actions, rather than just an action show in which you get people shooting and running around and everything's hunky dory, and you're essentially glorifying violence. This this show, I don't think I don't think it ever does that. You always see how those scenes affect the characters.
5: My question is for um, Iona. I was really quite impressed with like the production, and we've already talked about the CGI and, and the effects with the other cars. So um, how like hands-on were you for that? Like, and what were the biggest challenges of bringing such a huge sci-fi world to the screen?
7: I think our show had a really healthy budget, but I think the challenge with any world-building show and science fiction show is how do you achieve it for the budget that you have? And um, particularly for this show, which is, it's a road movie through space. And so What's so exciting about the series, I think, is that every episode has its own aesthetic, it has its own sets, it has different planets that they visit, and so there was a massive challenge for the production in terms of realising the huge ambition that was on, on the scripts. But the thing that all of the creatives bought into was that vision. And we just had the most amazing lead director in Kieran Hawks. Um, and we had the most amazing heads of department who were all wanted to make sure that the show was not let down in any way. So our set designer, Mark Geraghty, did an amazing job. Um, and for me and, and our VFX team through Milk also did an amazing job. And it was the particular relationship led by Kieran with the set designer, production designer, sorry, and the VFX team that really allowed us to create those incredible worlds. So I'm really glad that you've responded to that because it was, you know, whenever you start a show, I always worry about what could go wrong. And obviously when you're creating so, so many worlds, it's how do you make sure that they all work and do them all justice, but also that the whole series has a coherence. And so it was sort of my job to Facilitate very, very brilliant people to do their best work and to be incredibly creative and incredibly inventive so that when these guys walked on sets, it was there and they understood what the episode was going to look like. So yeah, it was a big job and it took the quickest and simplest answer to your question is prep. You know, what was amazing about having Kieran Hawkes as lead director and and an executive producer on the show was that he prepped absolutely everything. So every single person on that floor knew what they were trying to set out to achieve. And I think that shows of this scale get into trouble when you don't have that level of preparation and when things start changing at the last minute. But we were very robust in locking down our scripts and making sure that, that there weren't last minute changes that could catch us out. And by having Kieran and Julie driving that clear vision creatively, it allowed all of our heads of department to follow suit. That was probably the biggest challenge, but also the thing that was the most rewarding and satisfying to get right.
5: My follow-up was going to be if you couldn't quite fit any ideas into the first series, but it, it sounds like it was a pretty efficient production and you got pretty much everything in that you wanted to.
7: Pretty much. I mean, there were. there's always a process of consolidation and editing that happens. Certainly the big picture editorial didn't really change for us. There were certain sets that it just became prohibitive to have so many sets. So within episodes, we might consolidate action into one place. But that wasn't anything that you wouldn't have on a non-science fiction show, for example. That's a pretty standard thing with production that as your director sits down with the location manager and the rest of the team, you start making sure that the scripts then become tailored for the set or the the set that you're shooting in. We pretty much achieved what we set out to, which was gratifying.
4: My question is for Imogen and Oliver. It's a sci-fi programme, which is quite concept set in a completely new world but I just wondered if you could like narrow it down sort of give us like the message that you hope people will take away from it when they watch it other than all the brilliant sets
12: and special effects and action like what is this story about in both of your minds? I really like that question because it's so easy to end up talking about all the bells and whistles and I think it's really important because it's such a profoundly human drama to focus on exactly what you're talking about. And to my mind, and particularly for my character, but I think for everyone, actually, I would say the message is that solidarity is rewarded. It's a show about eight people trying very hard to not depend on anybody else. And every week, every episode, every world that they enter, they discover bit by bit that it doesn't work to need no one. And so I'd say, yeah, solidarity is rewarded would be my
8: takeaway message.
0: Nice. I think people will take away lots of different messages. And I think, you know you got to watch it to figure out you know how it sits with you and how it resonates with you but watching it myself and being a part of making it with with that ensemble and that group of characters There is something about them that you just kind of want to keep hanging out with them. It's a weird sort of things they get up to and the way they deal with stuff and all of the dynamics that are going on between sort of a certain pairing here and a certain pairing here and it's all kind of overlapping and crossing over and and they feel so real and human and all the themes and emotions that they go through are are just really relatable. So that I think you will take away from it that it's almost like you feel like you belong with them. So I think that's just a nice thing that people will enjoy getting involved in as they watch the series.
2: In terms of shooting the show, it seems like it's it's very much a sort of has two halves to it because you've got you guys on the ship and then you've got a bunch of people back on earth are you shooting in the same area or is there much interaction between those two halves or do you kind of completely separate
12: yeah so we're on the same studio lot okay but inevitably because the hemlock was it's not like a lot of things where you've got rooms on the hemlock shot in totally different lots it was like it was built so that you could literally run a camera track around one spaceship it's like a I keep wanting to say it is a real spaceship it is not a real spaceship <laughs> as good as so the old London set was on a different lot do I mean a different lot yeah a different, different lot but on the same what do I mean I do Different the studio. what's so the studio so we would see them in makeup we'd see them in costume but unfortunately in a way we didn't have very much crossover when we were actually acting However, having said that, I think it was almost helpful. I think the extent to which it feels like a binary universe that they're in maybe was helped by the fact that I didn't really know what was happening. Aside from reading it in the script, I didn't know what the atmosphere was. I didn't know what the culture of the old London set felt like. So when I came to watch it, it was so exciting. because I felt yeah. like I was like, I'd just never seen it before. It wasn't like I was watching the watching it from behind the camera. Um,
0: That's a good point. It was watching it, I, I realized that there's so much about that show That I'd had in my imagination You know yeah. With the cool stuff Which we didn't see So much of it With the special effects So you can only just imagine What it's going to look like So that when you watch it I felt like a fan really Watching it yeah. And just getting swept away In the in the, the whole new world To quote Aladdin um, It felt like it was Yeah It just sort of Really um, enticing You know
12: And the aesthetic Was so different I feel like they really Successfully created These two worlds That like looked And felt different The textures yeah. were different yeah. Again Mark garrity's Is just a genius the way that he managed to create such diverging aesthetics, and yet it didn't feel like watching two different shows. I hmm. don't know how he did it.
5: I thought your two characters had a very interesting dynamics with the lead, Ash Harper. Oliver, you sort of come in with. You know, very masculine energy in a female driven show. And then uh, Verona also has a very interesting relationship with her. Can you talk about sort of how you develop that with um, Savannah and how that might evolve over the series?
0: I think for Echo, he, there's something about Ash Harper, which he's just instantly drawn to. She's sort of fiery and feisty. And, and the first meeting they have is a, a fist fight and she, you know, puts him on his ass And it's sort of something about that is like, wow, I kind of, I'm just drawn to it. I'm attracted to it you know and I think that's what really leads him to become involved in the hemlock that's why he kind of goes back there to sort of find her and see what it's about and then becomes involved in the whole gang and as it goes on I think he becomes more and more involved with Ash and he realises there's feelings there that might be a little bit deeper than just sort of like a attraction or a challenge and as it goes on you know he may develop some sort of relationship with her but you know yeah, you'll have to wait and see.
12: Yeah and Verona, Verona and Ash have such a love-hate relationship throughout the series I mean they really just can't figure out what it is that they want from each other. I think having that initial meeting, her being arrested by Ash, it feels like a constant one-upmanship. They both want to have the high status all of the time. And I think it's really interesting in episode three when Verona is just forced to, they're both forced to confront their prejudices about one another, like at every opportunity. So Verona, for the first time, witnesses firsthand Ash having enormous integrity, and she just can't square that with a Commonwealth cop. It doesn't make any sense to her. And again, I think this just happens every day in in real life. I I hope it's something that will resonate with audiences. And likewise, Verona is seeing someone who, to her mind, is a rebel and a criminal who Deserves to be locked up, but on the other hand, she's witnessing somebody who's vulnerable and at times very kind, and can't square it. So it's yeah, it's two people battling their prejudices constantly. Is how I describe it.
4: My question is for Imogen and Oliver again. Something I've noticed during this junket is how tight all the cast seem to be. Like you all seem to have like a really good rapport. You all seem to get on really well. Like you've got nicknames for each other. um So can you just talk? Do we? <laughs> yeah, um, I think. Was Tomo at one point? I think. I good was going to be
12: a lot worse
4: than that. <laughs> I was curious. Yeah, so it's it just seems like a really really nice relationship. So can both of you just talk a bit about that? Um, I mean, it, you, obviously you can't get together physically, but have you bonded over Zoom or anything like that? Just um yeah, talk about relationship. It's not real.
0: We're all very convincing. <laughs> uh, I am um, instantly I, everyone just clicked it's just a very lucky coincidence of um, personalities just really kind of understanding each other and just, Clicking and 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 also going towards an end goal and a common cause of let's make the show the best it can possibly be and I've said it before like days on the hemlock where there's like eight of us filming these scenes and there's you're on there for a long time and it can get quite cramped because there's like lots of crew but I just loved it everyone was you know having a joke and laughing around and really sort of kind and generous with their ideas and stuff and it just felt like as soon as they said action it was professionalism and we'll get this done let's make it the best it can be and we've got these ideas and what about this and what about this and then when when we were off set, we just kind of relaxed into each other's company it was, it was a real luxury don't you think Kimmy
12: yeah and it's testament to Carmel Cochrane who cast this thing because it's a mammoth task and she just nailed the chemistry I think most of us had chemistry tests with other people and I just think she just completely nailed it she managed to get an incredibly diverse group of people and we're all really different this is the thing that kept astonishing me when we'd all find each other we'd you know we were going out we were all in Manchester for the shoot and we'd be going out and we're like we are eight very different people who got on like a house on fire I don't know how she managed it but she did and it was yeah it was just a joy every single day and we've been mainly online but we did sneak in a cup of drinks didn't we yeah, we're we're locked got- down uh, we managed it last year yeah. and hopefully it's not too long before we can all meet up closer to release and properly raise
2: a glass assuming as I'm sure it will will does the show does really well and you get another season it's a sort of very British cast. If you could get one big British actor to come in and guest star on it, who would you like to bring in? Oh, good question. That's a great question.
8: Oh, ah.
0: Who do you think it means? Yeah. You know I who just who don't
12: I, want to get anyone that I'm worried is just gonna be a lot better than me.
0: Yeah, do you know <laughs> who I love? Um, George Mackay. That's who I'd want to get in it. I love George Mackay. Good child. I think he's an amazing actor man. and he's a lovely boy. And I let's get him in there. He'll fit he'll slot into that gang perfectly.
12: Yeah, that's good. It's a cliche, but I am gonna go with Dame Judy Dench. I don't oh, know oh. where she'd fit into the narrative, and I'm struggling to place that. I have every faith in Judy Geary. I just think that would be completely wonderful. Maybe she could that's just be like
0: on a throne at
2: the back of the hemlock yeah that's what I'd like that's great that. well done so those were the interviews with the cast and crew of Intergalactic I urge you to go and watch it it's released on Friday the 30th of April on Sky One and Now TV and all episodes will be available on demand from that date as well of course if you want to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio this will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast which brings you all the latest tv filming and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates